Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with two-time World Series champ and Emmy Award-winning broadcaster Tim McCarver. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast today on the program. We're joined by a two-time world champion, a member of the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame, a Frick Award winner, and his playing career spanned four decades. He even threw a few Emmy Awards in there. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim McCarver. Timmy, thanks for coming on the program. Brett, it's a pleasure. My gosh, I never thought I'd be on this end of the program speaking to you. But I'm it very, is. very happy I am. And, and I, I love you coming on. A lot of history between us, you know. From I, I remember That's Tim McCarver when I was two years old. And you probably That's remember right. I, was probably, I was probably a pain in the ass. I, I remember you better when you were two years old. Matter <laughs> of fact. All right. I've had a lot of interesting guests on the Boom Podcast. But there's only been two that have released their own album. We had Big Country Joe West. <laughs> And we got Tim McCarver sing songs from the Great American Songbook. Now that's now that's interesting to me. I want to hear all about that. It's it's, it's not that big a deal. Uh, I wanted to do uh, an album, and I, I I used to live next door to Jerry Wexler. Uh, Jerry Wexler is one of the famous uh, producers in Hollywood. Uh, and, uh, and he asked, he said, you got a pretty good voice. Would you, I said, there are a lot of people out there with pretty good voices, but, uh, anyway, well, anyway, he got on the phone and got a producer out of Memphis, of course. Um, that's my uh, hometown is Memphis. And, uh, and I went to Memphis and, and did some Sinatra rollback music. That's all. I've always been a Sinatra fan, and that's that's pretty much it. There there are still plenty uh, takes left, by the way. In, in well, you case, know what? Case Go you, ahead. In, in, in that album. Well, I had I was playing in a series, Timmy, in uh, Seattle. This is late in my career. Joe West, you know, he's <clears throat> big. Big, bigger than life personality. I come to the plate my first at bat. I think it was like game three of the series. I tap him on the shin guards. You know, I have my pleasantries. I think I call him a fat ass. He calls me, you know, oh, Boone, I see you over the offseason. You haven't grown any, you know, any taller. That was his big thing with me. And uh, I'm having a rough series. <clears throat> so I get, I, I come in after the game and there's a CD on my, on my locker chair. And, I, and I'm looking at it. I think I'm 0 for 4. You know, I'm kind of pissed after the game. I got the red ass. And I says, who sent this CD over here? Club, he goes, I don't know. It came from the umpire's room. It's Joe West with his, with his recent album. And he signs it. He says to Boone, there's more hits on this CD than you have in this series. And, and that was my first time where I just started cracking up. And I said, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> put me, and it put me in a little bit of a better mood. <laughs> so you know joe i mean that does that sound typical of him I, unfortunately yes i do know joe 
<laughs> All right. You mentioned Memphis. I, I want to hear about Timmy McCarver as a little kid growing up. Uh, take me, take me back to your childhood. Always a catcher. Other sports? Would Would you do as a kid? I don't. I, I played a lot of sports. I had uh, there were five siblings. I was next to youngest, uh, and there there was an older older son uh, in the McCarver household. Uh, he was uh, thirteen years older than I was, and there were several. Mixed in between, I was next to youngest, and uh, through papers, stay alive. My father was a police officer in Memphis, and uh, and my father helped me with my newspapers occasionally when he could, when there was bad weather in particular. Uh, and uh, I played as many sports as I could, uh, particularly baseball and football. Uh, as my as my high school coach said ultimately about my basketball playing is that during the basketball during the basketball games I, I read the prayers <laughs> and that was and that was about it. <laughs> but well, did you ever think baseball, I was serious? Did you ever think? And then years later, you, you had a. Yeah, the ballpark name. It's Tim McCarver Ballpark in Memphis. I think it's at. It's a, kind of the famous Memphis Chicks Yard. I think I played there. It was, uh, it was at one time. It was at one time, and then it kind of weeded out. If you know some of those little minor league uh, ballparks, minor league parks in in towns in Memphis has gone away and and gone here and there and what have you, but. It's not there anymore, but I was proud of it when it was. So in, in June of 59, you finished high school. You signed with the St. Louis Cardinals. And, and doing my homework, getting ready for this, this Big Boom podcast, I found out a lot of stuff. You get to the big leagues when you're 17 years old. And, and to me, right. you know, that, that I, I signed, I went to USC, I did my year and a half in the minor leagues and got to the big leagues. What I thought was pretty darn quick. And, and if you look, you know, I know in today's game, 2021, you're seeing a lot of young, talented kids come up. Probably the most in, in the history of our sport as far as uh, the age of the stars that are playing today. But 17, that's that's like Joe Nuxall type stuff. I mean, I think Joe touched well, the big leagues quite, when he was 16. Quite, Joe had to do it because of the war. I didn't, right. I didn't have a war to worry about in the late, uh, or, or at least one that, uh, you know, might have been Vietnam and what have you. But I, I didn't, it wasn't a war-connected thing. And I was called up because Hal Smith, uh, it was a normal September call-up. Uh, so it was not that really big a deal. But it was a big deal when when – I started my first game at Wrigley Field, and I caught whose first start in the major leagues, Bob Gibson. As a, as a matter of fact, there is a – I've got a on, on the base of the Bob Gibson statue uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, where Bob uh, lived his magnificent life, one of a kind – 
bulldog, great, great pitcher. I mean, great, great pitcher. We could talk for days about Bob. But anyway, we had our first starts together, and I wrote a poem to him. So there you have it. So I had I had uh, some music inclinations, but uh, fortunately they were not enough to to get me going any further than I did. And fortunately, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, fortunately for me. No, I'm kidding. I'll I, I tell you, 17 years old, though, <laughs> Timmy, and, I, and I'm, um, you know, I'm in the process. My son signed. It's his first year in professional baseball. And I see this 21-year-old kid out there, you know, taking his lumps and, and uh, you know, taking You'll the good with the bad. You'll find Brett, that he's not a kid. He's a man. But it's amazing. And then I'm thinking of Tim McCarver, 17. I mean, a lot of us are we're, we're juniors in high school and you're catching Gibson at Wrigley Field. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. And even more importantly, by you getting to the big leagues when you're 59 and now grandpa was in the other league, he was in the American League. But you and my grandpa were peers. <laughs> when you were 17 right. years old. That's cool to me. That's interesting stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I remember Ray. I was a huge Ray Buck, uh, Ray Boone fan uh, back in, in the 50s. And for whatever reason, I, I, I liked him. I liked the Cleveland Indians were a good team throughout the 50s, so throughout the majority of the 50s. Matter of fact, with Al Rosen and Ralph Kiner ultimately and uh, guys like that, but Cleveland was a very, very good ball, good ballpark. So, I mean, you know, it, a lot of it's because because of the the birth and uh, and what you are from a from a standpoint of baseball being a little different then, but there were still tops bubblegum cards. I've got a mountain of them. I sign them a lot of times for fans and stuff like that, as we all do. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a normal life. I did, the one thing I did, though, I did get a bonus, a big bonus for $75,000. And in those days, that was a ton of money. I mean, ton of money. I was in San Francisco. Uh, uh, I was in, when the hell was I? <laughs> I was with New Orleans. I was in New Orleans here recently and had dinner with, with uh, Archie Manning, the, the, the older Archie Manning, the one that I saw play. And uh, he said that uh, he, thought it was, he thought it was something when they turned down uh, Archie Manning's Independence, independence uh, award to Elvis Presley because I'd I'd received it. I'd nudged out. So it was Elvis, uh, Archie Manning, and me. So I was third. Not bad for Elvis. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's pretty awesome. And Elvis, Elvis was pretty awesome. I'll tell you, 
I couldn't imagine. And, you know, cause I kind of, I, I remember, I remember I was a little kid, actually. I think it's at the time where you were in Philly, you know, dad was in Philly. So I was just a little kid running around. I, I remember the day uh, that Elvis passed away and, and you know, all you get to see now, I never met Elvis or, August, or anything, August but it, 1977. Yeah. So you were with the Phillies. That's right. I kind of, I remember I that day. I remember we that were, there's certain we're things you remember. Out. Yeah. We were in Montreal. Yeah. I have All right. quite a few things. Elvis. Turn the page, Proud. No, I love it though. This is this is what we talk about on the Boom Pie. It's just not all baseball here, Timmy. So fifty nine <laughs> to sixty nine. Fifty nine's your debut. And and you're a little up and down, you know, you you kinda be establish yourself in sixty three. But I but historic franchises, you know, I think when we, when we mention them, we think of the Yankees, obviously, uh, the Red Sox, the Cubs. But looking at the history of the Cardinals, you've got to throw the Cardinals in there with being one of those historic franchises. What makes what makes the Cardinals so special? I think it's it's. Uh, 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 with all the things that surround that franchise, uh, they've won. Number one, they won their first. Uh, they won their first uh, World Series in 1926, and uh, and they've just motored. You know, they've been so consistent throughout their legacy, and uh, and they've been so good throughout their legacy, and I've been so happy. We're having a uh, uh, to be a part of that too. We're going for a Hall of Fame ceremony next week in, in St. Louis, and uh, it's uh, it's been unbelievable. Uh, I think as you as you know, uh, Brett, we have you know as we age, you start forgetting things, and I, I'm certainly um, more or less more less or more whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm coming to a point where my stories become uh, a little interlaced with uh, pauses, and I, I can't stand that to happen because uh, we've always been part of that uh, Cardinal legacy, and how are you going to uh, tell about Cardinal legacy if you, if you can't sew the, sew the stories together? about what you went through. But, I mean, you know, we had such success. Uh, the trade of Lou Brock in 19, uh, 1963 <coughs> and, uh, and things that have happened mostly good. We lost to the uh, Detroit Tigers, of course, in 1968 after the performance Gibson Gibson performances that were extraordinary. Uh, 17 strikeouts, uh, setting a record for uh, 17 strikeouts uh, after game one. We won the series. Bob lost. Uh, he won that game, but we lost the series. So uh, bittersweet, but mostly sweet by far. And, you know, the, the legend of Bob Gibson for, for the P 
people out there of my generation. You know, we get to see them. We get to we, we get to see the old footage. Uh, we get to hear the stories. But there's always something with Gibson that follows him around. He had that he had that aura about him that, you know, and kind of nobody that, that nobody in, in the right, field it, of sport. Michael Jordan, maybe, maybe, but I don't think anybody had the aura of, of uh, doing the job with what Bob had to offer. He, he was mean. He was testy. He was terrific. Uh, in every every way, and nobody, in my opinion, in the history of the game, will ever be the competitor that this man was. Uh, he was one of to say one of a kind is uh, extraordinarily trite, because he was anything but that. What a what a professional! Never in the history of the game. Will there ever be one to match him? Now, there might be one as good, but couldn't match the great Bob. We're having a a function, as a matter of fact, in Omaha, Nebraska. And it's it's, going to be about Bob's uh, uh, baseball career, but it, it could very well have been about Bob's basketball career. <laughs> he was that good a basketball player. And, and that is so cool because we we do like I like I was saying that the people of my generation, uh, we we just get to see the footage. We hear the the legacy, and we hear about you know. And I think you touched on it. You said he was mean. He had that, and I think guys like that that have that reputation, they kind of like having it because there's a little bit of the unknown, especially as a hitter. What's he going to do to me? You know, there's that little edge that he has just by being oh, that yeah. mean guy on the Hill. I think the guys in, in, in modern day that have kind of taken that on a little bit, but like you said, there's only one Bob Gibson. I think the guys that come to mind to me are guys like Nolan Ryan who came along and had that, that mean streak in him. You know, he passed that yeah, on a little all, bit. Too. They all learned it too, Brett, from, from Gibson. Right. I mean, Nolan, Nolan learned a lot from Gibson because Nolan was, was you know, just coming into his, uh, into his era, but he learned a lot, an awful lot from Gibson. But it was Gibson long, long before. Nolan came on the scene. And I think Nolan kind of passed that along a little bit to Randy Johnson. And then it was the Randy Johnson, you know, have that mean streak. And then, you know, Clemens to a degree. But like you said, there there was only one Bob. That's fair. That's fair. But you're you're right with, I think, uh, uh, Nolan Nolan Ryan uh, was, was mean as well. Uh, as were a few other other pitchers, but not since Bob has there been anybody. Of course, the game has changed so much, uh, which is another another thing to get into right now. But uh, you don't have time to get into modern baseball, and and the game's changed a great deal. 
Yeah. But nobody, nobody was like Gibson. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Well, and I'm just looking over your, especially your early career, and and it's quite noted uh, in baseball history the relationship that you had with Lefty Steve Carlton, one of the greatest lefties in the history of the game, and you got your taste at you had Bob from the right side, and you had Steve Carlton from the left. Uh, there's not too many guys that have caught on a consistent basis. Arguably, the two two of the greatest to ever do it. Well, you know, I I, I caught a Bob Gibson 197 times, and I caught Steve Carlson 298 times as starters, and I'm very very proud of that that little split double header right there. Those are two pretty good pitchers, and I mean, from a catcher's standpoint, you just that's that's the the, the mantle you're you're held. Uh, that's the man, mantle you're given uh, from a catcher's standpoint. You don't think about it, but then you kind of get along. And I did not get along with Bob Gibson at all. I didn't get along with Steve Carlton in many, many ways early in our early going. Uh, but you, you, you make what works, and you try to you try to teach, and you try to learn, teach and learn, and. In baseball, going around second base, I'm sure you learned a lot from a second baseman standpoint, from a shortstop, the little shortstop you played, if you played any shortstop. Uh, uh, but it's a give-and-take skill. And uh, uh, I learned a lot with Lefty. Lefty and I are coming out with a, with a new book called uh, Steve Carlton and, and – and Tim McCarver. <laughs> Catchy title, huh? <laughs> I like it though. There's but not too many. There's not too many. It's coming, it's, it's coming out, coming out uh, this year, I believe. Oh, and how about this, Timmy? Uh, so we send. I, I get a picture this last week. You you mentioned that the that the Cardinals reunions next week. Uh, the Cardinals Hall of Fame, and you're and you're going to St. Louis for that. Uh, dad, mom, and dad just got back from a little Philly reunion, so uh, there was a picture taken of of Schmitty and Boa and Dad and uh, and Carlton. So I, you know, Sue Boone, mom calls me, and you know, just checking in like moms do. Well, well, you have the you have the greatest family going. I'm telling you. Well, I told her, I said, I said, mom, she, cause she always asks who's coming on the show. I said, we got big Tim McCarver next week, Bob. She's like, well, tell Timmy. I said, hello. I said, I will. I said, and you sent that picture and it made me start thinking because lefties having a glass of wine at the end of the bar in this photo. <laughs> and I said, it makes sense. I said, I know Carlton doesn't do any interviews. I said, you get your butt over to the end of that bar and say his his partner in crime, McCarver's coming on, and I expect Lefty to make a debut. And I'll tell you, you know how how Sue Boone can do it. Within two hours, she had texted me and she said, Brett, Steve said he'll do the program. And I said, that's great. I'll tell Timmy and I'll have Timmy give him a nudge as well. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be happy to give him a nudge. But so, so he, I, apparently he's coming on in a, a week or so. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that was that was all Sue Boone's doing. Uh, well, that Sue Boone can act, man. 
she can flat out motivate. And if if he comes on the show, it's because of Sue Boone because she can move. You're, you're right. I, I won't take any credit for it. I won't take any credit. <laughs> so moving through those uh, those Cardinal years, your world champion in '64, '67, '64, you hit a big tie-breaking homer in Game Five. Special huh? in special in um, in 1964 because of the you know the one thing I had when I saw. The, the runners on it at first and third and Bill White was on at, at third base and uh, Dick Grote was on at at first I believe that was the lines but anyway uh, before the series uh, Mickey Mantle had, ch- had ch- changed Yogi Berra was the manager and Mickey Mantle had changed from center field to right field because of, of an aching shoulder. I believe it was his shoulder. So Mantle had changed to right field. So when I hit the ball to right field, it was in the gap. It was no Brett Boone uh, uh, camera shot. Uh, Mantle, Mantle had ended game three with, with a ball that I was proud that I called Brett. This ball, this ball landed, and you know, you talk about another county, another county. He won that game, two to one. We win that game, two to one, and then uh, the next night, uh, Gibson was pitching, and uh, and it was tied by Tom Tresh, two-run homer in the bottom of the bottom of the ninth inning, and then we're in the top of the tenth. And the scene was set. And what else are you going to do with runners on the first and third and one out? Got to hit well, a home run. <laughs> you got to hit a home run. I mean, I bet you would have taken sack fly. Yeah. Sack fly works in those yeah. situations. But, it, yeah, I was just going to set that up. Tie-breaking home run. It was game five. Well, that I, I mean, obviously, I had a good, I had a good series. Bob had a – had a better one. Bob was the, uh, the player of the series, and we won our first World Series. And and you know, it was, it was the heart of America that that fed off the Cardinals that year. We were a very young team. Not everybody. Dick Grote was the shortstop. Uh, he played his basketball years with uh, with Duke. Uh, uh, Bob Gibson was just starting out. Uh, and, and guys who people were getting familiar with uh, look forward to us winning in, in future years. And uh, that was after, after beating the Red Sox in 1967. Then, as I said earlier, uh, in 68, Mickey Lolich beat us three times. And, uh, but those were just glorious years. That uh, Brett and uh, uh, it, it was it was just glorious years. That's all I can tell you. Nobody can that, take it that away from me either. And like you said, '67, another World Series win. Uh, and this was interesting to me. Catcher, catchers can't run, Timmy. We know that. '66, you lead the league in triples. How does that happen? You're hitting balls off the rosin bag. They're getting, getting stuck in the tarp. 
Killer speed. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. I, I mean, what I was thinking was there had to be a lot of balls that you rip down a right field line. They bounce around, get stuck in the tarp. The right fielder doesn't throw his arm up. So it's a triple. That's the only way you could lead the well, league in triples. Well, they were usually usually the triples for me were right center, left center. I was a right center, left center hitter and <clears throat> straight up. Occasionally, if I got one down the line, I had enough speed to to, uh, to get a tri- triple out of it. But I was very proud of my base running. Uh, I didn't want to – I never want to took it for granted that, you know, all this stuff about uh, runs well for a catcher. It drives me crazy when I hear it now when, as a broadcaster. Hey, runs well for a catcher. That, that gets the, the, the glow. When we were working together, the Yankees series and – your your brother hit the home the mighty home run for the Yankees. Yeah, there was never there was never one thing said, Brett Boone, about about any running well for a catcher because I I took a lot of pride in base <laughs> running and and we and we all took a lot of pride in it in those days. It wasn't it wasn't that uh, deal about catchers or automatic outs and stuff like that. That's that's a bunch of baloney. Yeah, because running the bases, and people, sometimes they don't get it. They, they equate running the bases to speed, and that's far from the truth. You can be a great oh, yeah. base runner, and has not, you're, God gives you the speed he gives you. Yes, you can work with whatever you have, but running the bases is a different, is a different animal. It's getting the good jump. I, I've played with a lot of fast guys that are terrible base runners. Now they have the luxury of making up for it because they have speed that others don't have. But to be fundamentally solid and score in a base hit, you know, from second base, that's that's not about speed. Yeah, that's as, about as that's about reading the Dick, reading Dick the Grote. reading the ball. Dick Grote per per uh, step was one of the slowest. Uh, available runners that that I had ever run into, but he was the best base runner by far, and taught me more about you know about about base running in that you don't have to be a um, uh, a fast base runner to be a good base runner, and that uh, that sadly is missing in today's game. I hate to say that. Perhaps it'll return. I hope the the ownership are are getting that message, base running and and fielding plays and things like that. That uh, that is sadly missing from the game now, and I don't like it. And a lot of the older players don't like it. Well, Talent, this, more this talented, is... more talented players, but the game's changed. Well, and Timmy, this is interesting, too, because a lot of guys come on the show and, uh, you know, I try to be that that because I grew up in, in a very unique family. And from the time I was in the big leagues, it was not only was I talking to Bob Boone after the game, but I was talking to Ray Boone after the game. And Ray was always if I was three <laughs> for four, man, we we're going to talk about that fourth at bat and why I didn't get a hit. Dad was going to remind me that, you know, in the 80s, when they won the World Series, this is what they did. So I took it with a grain of salt. I appreciated my lineage. I appreciated the 
the history of the game. I, man, what I would give to to go back and to, and to just be a fly on the wall in those 40s and 50s teams that that Grandpa Ray played on. What a cool thing that would be. Uh, you know, I got to live my childhood growing up with you guys, watching you guys play in the 70s and the 80s. What an what an awesome childhood. Um, but you're right. The, the players that play, are playing today and just being around them, they're so talented. The physicality has gotten so much better, but there are things they could do better. And, and I always think it's the best combination. For a guy like me that, you know, my, my last years were in the, in the early were 2000s, in. there's a lot I can learn from, from dads and your generation. There's a lot I can learn from. There's a lot, uh, you, did, there's a lot that you did learn. And you correct. don't even know it. And, but know? but there's some things we can learn from the current players today, but the current players really need to look at the history of the game. And, and I'm with you on a lot of points. I, 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 I know exactly what you're talking about, the base running. It, it's kind of it's kind of has a, a, a back seat now. The thing that drives me crazy is that runner on third less than two outs we had albert bell on the program a a couple weeks ago you know albert bell one of the greatest Uh, one of the greatest run producers in the history of the game and he talked about as a hitter how important it is to move a runner on second base with no outs get him to third so the guy behind him can hit a sack fly and it's one to nothing and we move on from there i played with edgar martinez if count serves me correctly, he had over 50 sacrifice flies one year, I believe. He's a, I he was unbelievable. And he really was. He you was know, and, and they don't. Remarkable guy and some hitter. He was, he was unbelievable. But to, but to hear him talk about, this is a guy that hit 50 homers and 50 doubles in the same season, drove in 156, and he's talking about moving the runner and playing the game correctly. I got a chance to play with Edgar Martinez, one of the greatest pure right-handed hitters of, our, of my time, and he would talk to me about that, how important it was, Booney. Why do we do this, Edgar, in an eight to nothing lead? Because that's the way you play baseball. And if you play the game right over the course of 162 games, you will be the best player you can be. And your teammates will see it and they'll play the game and right. That's and that's all you strive to do. That's well put. That's yeah. well put. That's all you strive to do is the best player you can you can be. Not the best player ever, the best player you can be ever. And that's going to make the guy that hits in front of you better, the guy that hits behind you better. And next thing you know, if everybody's playing on the same page, the camaraderie that you're going to develop in that clubhouse is going to be a force to be reckoned with. And I learned that on the really good teams I played for. More times than not, we had everybody pulling on the same end. It didn't mean we had to be best friends. But we played the game correctly. I think the players today could learn from that. And and I'm with you. I hope uh, because I'm I'm talking to a lot of players uh, from your age uh, down to the guys that I played with. And for the first time, because this is Major League Baseball, this is this is our life, uh, mine and yours both. This has been our whole life. It's important to us. It's what we know. It's what we love. But I've heard more veterans of the game in, in today's climate come to me and say, 
I don't like what's going on in the game today. And I, and I think each generation, we all, we all have our favorite generation, usually the time we played or our childhood. But there it's still concern, it's still baseball. Right. There, there, is, there is care from the guys who have graduated from the game, and, and they're, they're worried about the future of the game. And it's, it's, a, it's a worry that makes sense. It's a worry that, uh, that they should be concerned with. Uh, and I hope it can be rectified. Who knows? Is it valid to say, your opinion, uh, all the years you've, all the generations you've been, starting in the 50s uh, to modern day, would you say that this this generation and, and the people and the baseball people you talk to, the level of concern is higher than anything you've ever seen uh, in your career, in your life? I don't know about higher. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. That's an all-inclusive question, and you'd have to break that apart uh, to, to bring it down uh, and chop it, chop it together. But, uh, but certainly baseball is in that, in that group. I think, I think that it's an example of one of the things that works. I don't know whether that works in football, I don't know whether it works in basketball. I mean, uh, Will Chamberlain uh, was such a demanding presence on the basketball court. How could you be any better than uh, than Chamberlain, or than the the great things that were, you know, that went on during his heyday? Bill Russell, guys like that. The greatness of these of these men. That superseded, uh, you know, a, a playoff berth or what have you, uh, and and how he treated his teammates and uh, just the wonderful people around uh, it was just to Michael Jordan. My gosh, how can you be any better than that? Yeah. It's it's definitely an interesting. It's so much fun to talk about, but you've got to understand what you're talking about, and sometimes you don't. You don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a conversation <laughs> we could go on for hours and hours about it. All right, sixty nine. You get traded. The the franchise that that you grew up in. You know, we mentioned earlier. Since you're seventeen years old, you get traded with Kurt Flood. Byron Brown, I believe Joe Horner uh, ended up getting re- rid of the reserve clause. Um, how important historically was that? Was that Kurt Flood decision? I don't think enough's uh, talked about. We're gonna have Donald Fear on the program soon. I'm gonna I'm gonna breach that with him. Uh, but after that '69 season, uh, take me into that trade. What it was like for you, you know, growing up with the St. Louis Cardinals. Now all of a sudden you're traded and, and talk a little bit about Kurt flood. Yeah. Well, it was obviously, uh, tough for me because I was going as a player who wanted to play. Kurt went as a player who stepped down momentarily for playing and, and challenged the reserve clause. And, uh, eventually the, the, it was, uh, the the Supreme Court voted, I believe it was five to three, against him, and uh, and then six years later, uh, the 
Andy Messerschmidt decision and everything. And it was, it's hard to believe that a player that signed like you uh, had all of the benefits of free agency, right? Right. So, I mean, what, you know, what, what more can you give? And it was, it was great, but, uh, but I was given a minor uh, uh, trade, but I, I really enjoyed Philadelphia. I really enjoyed playing in Philadelphia. Uh, I didn't realize how good they were in the minor leagues. Uh, there were Larry Bow. I never saw a guy miss a miss a ground ball. He's one of the great short hop guys that I've ever seen. <laughs> You know, when you think about it, Bo was the best at at, at grabbing a, a a ground ball. It's just one man's opinion. But we had a we had a team in the in the coming, and and they uh, they made that. Uh, and a part of it was the Carlton the Carlton McCarver connection, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And uh, and then finally the Phillies won the world championship in 1980, uh, primarily to no end with Pete Rose there and your father, who was just a terrific player, human being, and I've told your family that forever. And you know I mean it because I've said it so many times. <laughs> And how about this, Timmy? Okay, so you come over to the Phillies, okay, and this is right your first your first go around with the Phillies in the early seventies. Uh, you got Bob Boone, the young Bob Boone, fresh out of Stanford, and then you get to play with him later, and it, like you said, creeping into nineteen eighty and and winning the World Series. Uh, what was that relationship like with Dad, and what was a young Bob Boone like? Other than the, you know, the, the view I got was a pain in the ass kid and, and him just being a mean dad. <laughs> uh, well, he, I mean, you talk about a guy who, who, uh, I mean, he, you might say, well, if he wanted to play, uh, uh, he had to act like that. No, he didn't. He didn't at all. But he was, a, he was such a gentleman and and uh, and we both were gentlemen to each other uh, throughout the whole thing. And and in other words, every time Steve's bell was called uh, when when pitching, I caught him, and that went on for four years. And Bob Boone Bob Boone accepted it, and uh, and it was accepted in the manly, friendly. Uh, no, no bitching here, bitching there uh, about that. And then it lasted until they could trade for John Bateman, and uh, which is not something that shook the baseball world. <laughs> <laughs> Me for John Bateman in Montreal. And I, I couldn't uh, continue catching lefty, and that hurt. And and then uh, three years later, uh, we were reunited and, and – uh, that seemed to be. I tell you, Paul Owens had had a great deal of of um, 
uh, knowing what he was doing with that team because he didn't, he didn't have all the fancy things they're, they're having in nowadays uh, with, uh, with all the, the, the different uh, uh, things that organizations, baseball organizations, have to go by. But he knew. He knew, and he was a he was he was quite a, a front front office person. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Manager. Isn't it amazing yeah. when you talk about general managers and uh, the nuances yeah. <laughs> that that go on with the great ones? And yeah, today you have data, you have analytics, you have all these uh, all this information to kind of lean on and make decisions on. But when I look at the game as a whole, still, the great organizations in 2021, they do it correctly. It, it's a people thing. It's not just, okay, that guy's talented, put him with, with this or put him with this guy and this guy. I think the really good ones have a sixth sense of, of reading people and knowing who to put with who that makes that clubhouse cohesive and makes it a winning atmosphere. I don't think it's just something that anybody can do by reading a data sheet because the data sheet doesn't take into consideration the person's, the person's individual personality and how he'll fit. It's fascinating to me when I, when I look at teams and I study teams and I'm saying this guy wouldn't work here because he's a, he's a role player. And on that particular ball club, I'm just, being hypothetical here, that particular ball club, sure. he fits in well, but you put him in this atmosphere and make him the man, he's not going to thrive in that atmosphere. And it's amazing to me that more people don't see what I see. Right. Right. You're exactly right. I mean, uh, there's no machine that can gather that up. It's a human machine. And that's, that's why scouts still matter. That's why guys who roam, uh, the stands before the game. That's why they still matter. They matter an awful lot, and 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 yet baseball seems to uh, to consider it uh, as as more or less less valuable than it was back in before 1980, before 1990, what have you. Yeah, and it's amazing. It's, 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 you know, it's a fascinating. It's a fascinating thing, though. Uh, what we're just uh, what we're just talking about, and Kurt Flood kind of opened that up. I, in fact, Bill White is going to be one of the inductees of the Cardinals uh, uh, a week in a couple of weeks, and uh, they asked if I would uh, introduce him, and and because Bill's not of health to to be there, so I'm going to introduce him, and. Uh, and it's, he said, is Kurt Flood in, in the Hall of Fame? I said, no. He said, shame, as Bill would do it. You know, he's having some health problems now, but uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, we're, we're changing in the world. We're changing in the world of baseball, and we're changing in the world of telephone conversations. <laughs> Kurt Flood, what was he like? Very intelligent. He would, he would be that if you would select any of the guys with the Cardinals, he would be the guy that you would select to go in to, uh, to the Hall of Fame and not go in to the Hall of Fame, if you know what I mean. Yeah, be, right, because of, yeah, 
No, I, I, I understand because exactly he said, what you're saying. He said, I am not a slave anymore. I, I was never, I never felt as though I was, uh, but I, I want to be able to choose uh, who I can play for. And not someone, where, and obviously it didn't happen, but it happened in baseball. And, and the things that uh, made Kurt Flood great are in the Hall of Fame. And I hope he gets distinguished in the Hall of Fame because he certainly deserves it. Yeah, a huge piece of history, huge what a time in baseball and changed the lives of so many players that came after him, you know, including myself that, that were able to benefit from what he gave up. Really, really interesting stuff. 71, you catch uh, Rick Wise, no hitter. And then Bill Stoneman, when you go to the Expos, you catch another one. Two in, I don't know, in a year, in a calendar year. How were those? Two most innings with, uh, within a year, I believe, uh, that year. Uh, and one with Montreal, where the wind was blowing in, take advantage of the wind. Only at Parc Jaurie could you have done that. Uh, the, the, the park where they played in those days. And then uh, Rick Wise, his last start, I believe, for the Phillies against Cincinnati. Pete Rose made the last out. And Rick Wise hit two home runs, drove in four, and won the game 5 nothing, no hitter. Now, top that one. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's not bad. <laughs> back to the Cardinals, 73-74. Back to the Phillies, like you'd mentioned, 75-80. to 80. And I want to do something at this at this part of the program. I'm going to do a little rapid fire with you. And I want to hear what Tim McCarver has to say. Best hitter you ever played with? Best hitter I ever played with. Stan Musial in his in 1963. Lou Brock from 1964 on. Okay. Best hitter you ever played against? Henry Aaron. And a Ooh. slight, slight, slight give to Willie Mays. Mays could do everything. I, I'm, I, I love uh, Henry Aaron because I don't think he's ever got his true due. I, I think the guys that he played with, his generation, you know how great of a player he was. But when they, mm -hmm. they mention Henry Aaron with the all-time greats, it's always the home run champ. When he was so much more than that, you you look at his numbers as a young player from from stolen bases to just the player that he was, and he's always known as Hank, the home run king. But I used to think, no, no, Hank's a lot more than a home run king. He's one of the top to ever do it. I mean, and you just did, you just did it. You mentioned him with Willie Mays as one of the all time greats. Yeah, the the funny thing about Henry Aaron funny in, in how unusual it was from, from a hitter standpoint, he hit very few line drives because the line drives got out of the ballpark. In other words, his, his line drives would get out of the ballpark. Uh, the one off Al Downing got out of the ballpark, of course. Uh, but there weren't the long 
like like Maisie and uh, or or guys certainly like uh, uh, Willie McCovey or guys like that. But uh, he was he was a, a hitter unto himself, and uh, and nobody can take that away. He, he did it in a different way. Everybody says Mays. May and I, I'm one of them. I think May's the best player I've ever seen, but I, I don't. But who's the best player that you've ever seen? Well, Willie Mays. <laughs> I can't. I can't qualify it. You know, they're they're two. They're almost inseparable. <laughs> but Bill White asked. He said, "Is Kurt Flood in the hall in the St. Louis Hall of Fame?" And I said, "I don't." think so as a matter of fact i know so so all right these two might be a little tougher for you because we've we've covered this a lot already carlton and gibson two of the best ever do it best pitcher you ever caught bob gibson gibby all right best pitcher you ever faced sandy koufax and and uh right below that is uh, who am I thinking? Help me out here. Left-handed, big left-handed. Randy Johnson. No, you'll get like this one of these days. <laughs> Randy, all right. You got to give me a give me a all Randy, right. Randy Moss. No, who am I thinking Rand- of? <laughs> I don't know. I. I- <laughs> I don't well, know. That's okay. I, I think okay. I think your answers are great. I think your answers are great. I don't think you'd go wrong with those two. It was just interesting to me because once again, when I was when I was doing my homework here, I thought, I wonder what Timmy's going to say. He caught lefty, who my dad to this day says best lefty's ever seen. And I said, Dad, you didn't face Randy Johnson. I don't care, lefty. That's and, true. And, that's and true. Bob Gibson. Randy and Bob Gibson. I, I would have had an easier time hitting against Gibson than I would have Randy Johnson. Yeah, but Randy Bob was, Gibson was a better pitcher than Randy Johnson. Yeah. And and that's that's me. I played with Randy. It was the most dominating performances by a pitcher I've ever oh, played defense God. by. Oh my God. I've ever played defense behind, but if you ask me who's the best pitcher I've ever seen, for me and my and my experiences it's Greg Maddox. So I have two completely different answers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Two com- at, at times, two complete, completely different leagues. Yep. For crying yep. out loud. All right. But, so 79, uh, we're going to jump to 79. Tim McCarver starts what, what ends up being another four decades in uh, your broadcast career. <laughs> now, I was always interested in this. Growing up with, you know, my little brother, Aaron, he was always imitating you guys, especially those Phillies years, you know, that that game would come on. And Aaron was more interested in imitating your batting stances and and imitating Harry Callis coming on the air uh, and Richie Ashburn <laughs> than he was the actual game. You know, fast forward through Aaron's career, he ends up being a broadcaster, goes to ESPN. It's what he always wanted to do. When did you start knowing when you're done playing, that's what you wanted to do? That's a very integrated, very good question. 
took a lot of thought. I'm serious about that. Uh, well, thank you, Timmy. I, I needed I needed the money. <laughs> <laughs> Honest answer. I did. I didn't have a job. And the Phillies offered me a, a deal where I could go in and do 50 games with Chris Wheeler uh, uh, on and 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 then and then do a few if I was any good. Well, I turned out to be any good. Now, what does any good mean? I don't know, but it was good enough to get me uh, a, uh, a, a trial basis uh, with the New York Mets. The Mets had a problem with their uh, working with Ralph Kiner. Uh, I went to New York. I, I auditioned for the most part in a cold, wintry day. And they said, uh, we'll give you $40,000. And I said, I'll, I'll accept it and I'll take it. And I'm, I'm very proud to be like that. And the next year, I was not as cheap, I might add, Brett. Well, that's what you get your foot in the door and then you slam the door and say, no, now it's time to pay the piper. Yeah. Yeah, that's That's exactly what you <laughs> but, do. But anyway, the, the rest is kind of history, and I, uh, the networks hear you up there, and then you, you move on, and 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 some people like you. Uh, it better be the majority of the people like you, or uh, otherwise you won't have a job. Uh, so enough people like me that I kept a job for uh, for another, uh, what, 30 years, 35 years. Tim McCarver's critique. What, what, what is your critique of a young Tim Carver, Tim McCarver, just coming off the field? How were you in your, in your early days? I was, I was, uh, you know, I, I, I can't say that. I don't know. I, I can't critique that. But I did a lot of critiquing with myself. I watched a lot of uh, uh, a lot of time uh, on the air and watched the feed of my uh, my wife at the time uh, would would try that out and try those uh, and and really critique me and she helped me enormously. Uh, enormously i mean uh, for that and uh and you just have to work at it and work at the things that that you think you don't need work on you need work on it and somebody uh that you hope is honest enough with you to tell you the truth about your grammar your grammar is very important very important and you got to work at it. You got to want to know how how great how great it is. Number one, to be in a position to where you can speak intelligently, and your job is giving you a chance to speak intelligently because it's showing awareness of of the job that you should. It, it ain't it ain't any it ain't ain't anymore. It's okay in the clubhouse, but it's not okay uh, when you're on television. 
I, I just noticed uh, Joe Buck taking over for uh, uh, for what am, what am I thinking of? What's the name of the a Jeopardy the show? Jeopardy. Jeff. Yeah, yeah, I heard he was yeah. doing a tryout. I haven't I haven't watched it. Is he going to be the guy? Doing doing a fabulous job and as smooth as can be. And the reason he is, is because he sounds like an announcer. He can, you can, you could put Joe anywhere. I mean, he's killing them. Just, just killing them. Just wonderful. Uh, and it's, it's great to see. And Joe's not a jock. Joe wasn't a jock really went to Indiana. He didn't play football or anything like that. Uh, but, but, he realizes the adventure through language and things like that. You got to love it. If you, if you, if you love the language, you speak it well and very, very important, very important. And you got to love it to, to get a hold of it like you do. And anyway, that's what I've loved about doing the business. Um, you mentioned Joe Buck. Obviously, you worked with him a lot of years. Uh, you call baseball. On, you call baseball on NBC, ABC, uh, Game of the Week. Well, I mean, the list goes on. Monday Night Baseball with Drysdale. I, I, I'm looking at. I'm just, you know, going through looking at the partners you had: Palmer, Al Michaels. You got to work with the legendary Jack Buck and McDonough. And, and Joe Buck, obviously, your longest tenure. Um, 85 was your first World Series. You ended up calling 23. But tell me how that first one went. You're a replacement for the great Howard Cosell. How was that stepping into the booth in 85 on the biggest platform? It was trying to trying to fight away all the criticism I was getting because uh, I in no way sounded like Cosell. <laughs> who does though? Uh, who does? But there were enough. I had enough on my on my side, and Al, Al Michaels in particular, and uh, uh, he's the best. By the way, as a teacher, as a as a doer, he's just recently into the Hall of Fame, and just nobody. There's nobody better than Al. Nobody. And he's proven it. He's always been a favorite of mine, Al Michaels. No, he's always, I mean, he's been, he's, he's the man. He is the man. We've showed up about everything, haven't we? Aren't we the men now? We're, We're the men. We're, that's right. We're the men now. We're the men. You, you had 23, <laughs> you, had, you covered 20 All-Star games. You were You were doing... In 88, you're in Calgary covering skiing. In the 92 Olympics, you were, you were a primetime host. Timmy, you've been all over the map. You've worked with all the greats. You've been there. You've pretty much done everything. You had the Tim McCarver show ran, I believe, 17 or 18 years. I think I was on the Tim McCarver show. I think you were, too. I, I know you were. Uh, I think we were on. We, I think, we ran out of people. <laughs> yeah, we ran out of people, and and you know, uh, I'm doing you that I'm doing you that solid back, bringing you on on the Brett Boone podcast. <laughs> but the typical, well, I think, you, I, 
I don't know what to say. <laughs> what show? What show did we do? I think it was Grandpa, Dad, Aaron, and myself. I did a show with you. That's a, other than when we were in the booth together. It might have been '03. It might have been we did it for the. Uh, I forget. Damn it! Now, now I'm losing my mind, Timmy. Well, no, no, you're not. You're just slipping a bit. Don't worry. Well, I've about- done. Yeah, I've done a lot of interviews with you, but I do remember the Tim McCarver show. Question for you. You've done a lot of local broadcasting. You've done a lot of national broadcasting. What are the differences? Jeremy Roenick says his job was to educate and inform on the hockey side. What was the difference, national versus local broadcast? Educate and inform. Al Michaels did as well as anybody for the 1980 uh, World Cup. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I tried to always, your, your partner, I'll tell you, I, I worked with Keith Jackson in 1986. And, and Keith Jackson, to enter a, uh, a young announcer, particularly one who didn't go to announcing school or what have you. Uh, that's, that's really cool. And uh, to have that on the big stage, to do a 16-inning game uh, where the Mets and, and the uh, Astros, 16 innings for everything, actually for everything, and they played uh, Boston, of course, uh, in the World Series. But uh, it was uh, just that that series was my favorite time period, if you will, and and it was just two of us, Keith Jackson and me. Keith Jackson had rarely done baseball, hadn't done it in a long time, but yet he he cudgeled me in in a way that was uh, that was really wondrous. Uh, for instance, he, he told me out of out of card that I used uh, for one or two, and he said, uh, "Do you ever use that?" And I said, "Well, I didn't think I'd have to." He said, "It's okay to." He said, "It's okay to. They can't see you." No one had ever told me that, and I used it. Well, you know that that. In 2003, and you mentioned it earlier, uh, we got to work together in that in that famous Boston New York series. And I remember, you know, because I was a current player, and I remember Fox calling me. That's when they were trying the the third man in the booth, and it was a current player. And I remember getting the phone call and saying, you know, I, I'm not a broadcaster. I don't do that. And you know, Fox came back to me again, and I said, oh, I really don't want to do that. And they said, Oh, you're going to work with Timmy. All right, childhood. Now my childhood comes back. And then they kind of convinced me, well, Aaron's going to be in the postseason. So you remember that when I came to, to New York and was doing that. Cool. I was I remember amazed. everything about the whole scene. Sure. I remember, I remember it, though, because I thought, here I am, and you probably remember how I was, completely uh, not prepared for it. I'm a current player, probably caught up in my own. You didn't know own. how to prepare. You didn't know huh? how to prepare for it. Huh? You didn't know how to repair. 
No, and and I came I, I came into the th- to the broadcast booth just thinking, all right, I'm here, and I remember looking over at you and Joe, and this is what you do for a living. I'm just you know my 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 Seattle Mariners. We we just won 93 games. We got bounced from the playoffs. I'm kind of pissed that I'm not in the playoffs, and now I'm in this booth. And I was remember looking over at you in these notes and you were just meticulous and you had them all and you got had the highlighter and Joe obviously is preparing for for his opening segment. And, and you guys are kind of looking at me like, all right, Brett, and what you're going to do. And that that story you just talked about of it's OK to have notes. It's OK to refer to that man as a young, you know, current player that didn't think about broadcast at all, man, I was underprepared. And I look back at that. It was a learning experience because now, you know, even something as simple as, as preparing for a show, I see and, and appreciate and am being educated on, on what it takes to, to give a good performance. And there's a lot of work to do it. And there's a lot of preparation. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, you go back 20 years for me and it was like, <laughs> all right, I'm here. Show. I remember walking into the booth and you guys, you guys are all prepared for what your opening's going to be. I'm like, all right, what am I going to say? <laughs> and uh, it's just funny to me now, you know, being naive as far as a broadcaster it is, back it is then. funny when you go back, but, but you should be proud of yourself. You overcame an obstacle. And that obstacle was yourself. Yep. It's a wonderful thing to overcome yourself. Yeah. I had to do the same thing. It's not easy, baby. No. And everybody knows that, and they should live by that. So you came into you came into the game when Gramps was playing. You were teammates with my dad. You've called a lot of my games. Tim McCarver, the broadcast. Tim McCarver, the broadcaster. Tim McCarver, the baseball player. What did you do to try to pass on your experiences, uh, your knowledge to the next group of baseball players throughout your career? Well, my first, my first uh, knowledge that I'm passing on everything to my. My granddaughter, whom there is one, and grandson, whom there is one. Uh, They are players. They're they're active, but they're not going to be good enough players to be in the the business. But they'll be in the business, I guarantee you, somewhere. I don't know where. Where? But somewhere, that's all I can say. And we've covered this a little bit, but you mentioned the game has changed a lot since you were a rookie in 59. Give me the pros and the cons. The game then versus the game today. Well, the game's going to continue to change. The game is... Uh, it's always going to be life is changing. Life is ever changing. And uh, you have to be prepared for life. That goes for life, not just baseball or anything else. And I, I am tired of having waxed, uh, uh, waxed ridiculously up here uh, with, my, with my time with you, 
which I granted, I don't know how much time it was, but it was enough time uh, for, for me to say that if you put a mind to it, you can be just like Uncle Timmy. <laughs> what does Uncle Timmy, Tim McCarver, want to be remembered for? It's all said and done. I don't, I don't care. I, I respect, I guess, because uh, I didn't have. That I couldn't. I couldn't throw it from a catcher's standpoint. That's a little tough to do. Uh, to to do that, I, I guess I was. Uh, I was roundly criticized for that. But you can't. You can't criticize a bad arm if, if you can't throw. You can't throw. Uh, and I could not throw um, for a reason. But but with lefty and a, a great move to first base that that certainly helped uh but if i came back and i had uh, jerry grody's arm that would have that would have settled me fine jerry grody was the best throwing catcher i ever saw uh, but anyway there, there's a lot to learn about the game the game's a very complex game and you can learn a lot about uh, about about a baseball game. Well, Tim McCarver, Hall of Famer. Uh, I just want to say this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it was a pleasure. And what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end is we bring the voice of the Boone podcast, Dan Levy, in for one last question from the fans. Dan. Gentlemen, Mr. McCarver, how are you? All right, Dan. Don't give me that how are you. That's phony. That's not phony. This is the way I talk, <laughs> sir. No, it's not. No, it is. It's not. This is 100% the way I speak to every person in my life, including my six-year-old, my mother, and anybody that's ever met me. I'm just Dan, let me, Hey, this is a tough league you're playing in now, I Danny. I, I thought broadcaster <laughs> broadcaster would be cooler than this, but I'll, I'll shoot it to you. Anybody, anybody who says Hawaii is phony. <laughs> All right. I'll be a little more serious with you. Is that what you'd like? Oh, I'm very serious. All right. Well, Tim, this one comes from Jill in Hermosa Beach, and she wants to know this. <laughs> Tell us about the relationship between the announcers and the director and producer when you're calling games and the prep that goes into a network broadcast. There, there is considerable. I, I mean, considerable. Uh, I wouldn't say that a producer on a show has to be as close as a as a. a as a catcher and a pitcher are preparing for the game, but it's close. Uh, producers, directors, very, very close uh, on the good telecast. You can get by if you're if if you become lazy, but uh, that's not the way to do it. And the good ones know exactly. Why? And, and exactly a way, the way to put it. 
All right. Well, Tim McCarver, thanks for coming on the podcast and making me feel like an inferior broadcaster. I was serious, but I was only kidding. (laughs) You've only heard my feelings for a couple of seconds. (laughs) But I'll get over it. Good. Good. Stay over it, too. Mailbag. All right, Brett. You know that sound? Mailbag time, Dan. Mailbag time. Let's trick our hands in the old mailbag, shall we? And what do we have here? All right, Brett, this one comes from Jim in San Diego. The Tatis move to the outfield. How hard is that to do? I think for Tatis, it's going to be simple. Uh, I I, I think he's almost relishing in it because this is a young kid that He's got as pretty much as much talent as I've seen in the game in a long time. Uh, I think he wants to prove to everybody. I could just go out to center field and play like a gold glover, and I have no doubt he can. The thing I've learned uh, throughout this game is is a talented shortstop can play anywhere on the field, and it's no big deal. Short is by far the most demanding defensive position on the field and and the second most demanding isn't even close i i he won't miss a beat he'll go out there he'll be a superstar in the outfield i would think the catcher would be the most demanding you're pretty much calling the game well no here's what i'm i I, no, and i don't want to diminish you know that's always what gets brought up well catching isn't it tougher i'm not talking from a physicality from a tired standpoint i'm talking about from a skill standpoint gotcha the you can make somebody a catcher. You can make somebody a first baseman. You can make them a, a left fielder. You cannot make anyone a shortstop. Interesting. Does that make sense? That does. That does. Yeah. Shortstops is most most demanding skill wise, by far on the field, and it's not even close. All righty, back in we go, and this one comes from Pete in Illinois. Brett, how good of a job has Tony La Russa been doing in Chicago? I think I, I've been a proponent of Tony. I think he's great for the game right now. I think the game needs a guy like Tony La Russa, Hall of Fame manager. Uh, people want to say, you know, in today's game, it's it's not, I don't know, politically correct to say old school. He is an old school guy. I think but going into this, he knew he knows it's a different time. It's 2021. The game is different. He's got to bend. He's got to mold into the modern player. I think he's done that. But yet bringing those those classic baseball traits with him that have been in this game and made it the great game that it is for so many years. Uh, I think it's a great combination. I think going forward in this game, you're going to see a lot more of that. That old school, just good, gritty baseball men. And and then put together with this modern day technology and data, I think you get the right formula. That's the ultimate formula for the ultimate manager. And I'll tell you right now, people can say what, wherever side of the ledger you are on Tony La Russa, say what you want. My opinion best American League team right now in the game is the Chicago White Sox. He's got them playing well. Proof's in the pudding. 
And I do love pudding. All right, that's going to do it for this here Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy. I'm the technical director and producer of the Boone Podcast. Executive producer is Rich Herrera. The digital content all gets taken care of by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors and friends and make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show for all of us here on the boon podcast my name is dan levy thanks for listening see you guys in a little bit